Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. We're in this series on the seven deadly sins. Aren't you happy you came to church tonight? Okay? The seven deadly sins. Now, I talked a little bit about this last week, and I want to review it all here again today. But basically, the seven deadly sins is a list of sins uh, that came into being in the 300s to 500s AD, okay? So about 1,500 years ago. And it was a list of sins that are, it does not come from the Bible. There's no list of seven deadly sins in the Bible, okay? This is a list that early Christians came up And uh, they put together a list of sins that they thought all other sins come from these sins. So these are like seven root sins, okay? So you don't see murder on there. You don't see adultery. You don't see stealing. You don't see lying. That's because these early Christians would have said that all of those sins come out of some of these things. So if you get too angry uh, and you murder someone, right, the murder came from anger or something else, okay? So that's the seven deadly sins. Last week we talked about envy. Uh, if you're like me, we're all planning to skip gluttony, okay? Um, and I'll give you a week heads up. Actually, I won't because I don't want you to skip. But today we're going to talk about greed, okay? Today we're going to talk about greed. So here's a definition of greed, Okay? Greed, if you look in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is an excessive desire for more of something, such as money, but it could be for more than just money. Often in our culture, it has to do with money. It's an excessive desire for more of something, such as money, than is needed to the detriment of others and of society at large, okay? So I've, I've underlined two parts here, the excessive desire and the to the detriment of others, okay? So first of all, uh, greed has to do with this idea of excessive desire for more, okay? Um, You're never satisfied. A person who has greed cannot be content. They always have to have more, whatever their status in life. You could be a poor person who is greedy. You could be a rich person who is greedy. Uh, You know, greed isn't just rich people. It can be anyone who has an excessive desire for more. No matter how much you get, you're never content. You always need to have more. And then there's a second part of greed, and that is to the detriment of others. It's not just that you want more. It's that you're willing to hurt other people. You're willing to compromise your integrity in order to get that more. Okay? So for example... Uh, you know, if you, if you were running a restaurant, let's say, and you wanted to increase your profits, there's nothing wrong with wanting to increase your profits. And if you increase your profits through improving your ingredients and your menu options and your service, those are wonderful things. That is not greed, okay? Greed does not mean you're trying to make your business better, okay? But if in order to increase your profits in the restaurant, instead of going with, you know, better ingredients, better menu, better service... You decide, you know, we're going to cut some corners on hygiene. We're going to cut some corners on safety. Now you're risking hurting other people in order to make profits to the detriment of others when you are willing to compromise your integrity, when you're willing to hurt other people in order to get more profit, more of something. That's what greed is, okay? So two parts 
to greed there. Now let's go back a little bit to this excessive desire. And we're going to spend a lot of time today. We'll be here in Genesis, but then we're going to take a long time and we're going to spend some time with 1 Timothy chapter 6. But I want to just highlight four important points about greed. And then we'll get into some practical stuff as well. This idea of greed is about constantly wanting more, not having lots of stuff. And I wanted to sit here a little bit right at the beginning of the sermon because some people have this idea that if you're rich, you're greedy. It's the rich people who are all greedy. But we know, by the way, if that's true, then most of us are greedy because compared to a lot of the world, most of us is rich. So that's something we always have to keep in mind. Uh, most human beings don't consider themselves to be rich. We always think someone who has more than us is rich. Isn't that true? But for most of us here in Canada, if we are compared to most of the people in the world, we're the rich ones. So always remind yourself of that when you start to think rich people are, are automatically greedy or evil. We are rich uh, in the eyes of some. But greed is about the wanting. It's not about the having. Look at Abram here. Abraham is what we know him as. At this point, his name hasn't changed. But Genesis chapter 13, there's actually lots of wealthy people in Scripture who loved God and followed God. Abraham was one of them. Abraham had become, notice this, Abraham was not just wealthy, he was very wealthy. And he wasn't, you know, and this isn't talking about, oh, he was wealthy in relationships and he was wealthy. No, no, he was very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold, okay? This guy made a lot of bank, okay? So just trying to connect it with the young adults quickly. Um... He's very wealthy, okay, in gold and silver and animals, all right? And yet it says in James chapter 2, and the scripture was fulfilled, it says, Abraham believed God and it was uh, credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. So Abraham was a friend of God. He was incredibly wealthy. Obviously, having stuff doesn't make you bad. Being wealthy does not make you automatically sinful or greedy. And we could talk about lots and lots of other rich people in Scripture. King David, Joseph, Job, Daniel. And there's a bunch actually in the New Testament as well. Including, uh, you know, if you look at uh, Luke 8 verse 3. Uh, Joanna and Susanna were some wealthy women who were funding Jesus' ministry. Okay? So being rich... Greed is about the wanting. Always you want more. It's not, you could have a lot of stuff and be quite content, right? Um, 1 Timothy 6, being rich does not automatically make a person greedy. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world. So this is Paul giving direction to Timothy, right? And, uh, and he's telling Timothy, because Timothy is in the church in Ephesus, and he's been left in charge of the church, and so... He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, I want you to notice there, Paul does not say, command the rich to become poor. Okay, that's really important. That's why I wanted to sit here for just a little bit at the beginning of the message. We have to realize all of us are, will be tempted and struggle with greed. It's not somebody else, okay? It's us. So Paul does not say to the rich, command those who are rich to become poor, because being poor is good and being rich is bad. That's what he says. He says, command them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope uh, in God. And now look what it says next. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, sometimes Christians have this idea that, that God wants us to have nothing, okay? Now, we don't really believe that because 
none of us lives with absolutely nothing. But sometimes we feel guilty about the fact that we have a house. Some of us feel guilty about having a car or some of those things. I want you to notice, it is God who provides those things for us. It's God who has provided your home. It's God who has provided some of these comforts for our enjoyment. Isn't that cool to know that God isn't a killjoy? He has provided for you for our enjoyment, okay? So it's not greedy to have stuff. Now, Paul goes on to say, this is what he wants from rich people, command them to do good. And by the way, again, remember, we are rich. If Paul was here today and he would come to your house and see how you live, the vast majority of you, he would go, wow, you are rich. And he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share, right? Because in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Well, two more things, okay? So being rich doesn't make you greedy, Poverty doesn't make you not greedy, okay? You can be poor and never content. And lastly, greed is an attitude. It's the always wanting and never able to be content. So I just wanted to hit those points uh, really hard. Now, problem with greed is that it leads us into some problems. Greed causes pain and hardship, it causes a lot of pain and hardship. And so he says this, those who want, now notice again, it's not, we're, we're, we're still in 1 Timothy 6 here. Notice he does not say those who are rich fall into temptation. It's not those who are rich fall into temptation. It says those who want to get rich, that's greed, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires uh, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So I want you to notice what greed, this constant desire for more, I can never be content with what I have, this constant desire for more, 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 can lead us to temptation. So when you always want more, it can lead you into sin, temptation to sin. It can lead you into foolish and harmful desires. So that's a desire for things that you don't actually need and can't afford. It might not be sinful, but it's foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Okay? And by the way, as a pastor, and some of you have experienced this in your life, but as a pastor I can say, yes, I have sat with many people with overwhelming amounts of debt, credit card stress, marital problems, and all kinds of things that boil down ultimately to money stress that boils down to this desire for more, 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 more. See, greed, we have to get out of our heads this idea that greed is this billionaire tycoon with alligator skin boots up on his gold-plated desk, you know, yeah, how am I going to pollute the earth and take millions more from the poor? That's what we think of. That's kind of the cartoon in our mind of what greed is. But greed is a lot more every day. Greed is this lack of contentment that puts us into ruin and destruction by this over-pursuing of more. For the love of money, again, it's not money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, okay? Harmful desires, ruin and destruction, many griefs. Greed will wreck your joy. 
It's a joy killer. And we're going to touch on that uh, in just a little bit. But I just want to look at one form of destruction. There's actually many. I, we could have made a whole series just on greed. As, you know, it was very hard for me because this could go all kinds of different branches. There's different ways that greed impacts us, the time we spend with our families. Uh, I was doing some reading. There's articles that talk about how in the, you know, about 100 years ago, economists and and retailers actually intentionally, in their desire to turn us into consumers, talked about the need for us to want stuff over free time, to be with people and stuff. There's all kinds of ways you can go how greed impacts us today. I just want to look at one form of destruction, and that was what I was just alluding to a moment ago, is the financial stress that comes from constantly chasing more. And this is one form of greed, destruction, financial stress from constantly chasing more. This is one form of those piercing with many griefs. And there's two ways that we come into financial stress through greed. We get there by spending too much money on foolish things. That's one way. And we get there by spending too much money foolishly on good things. You see how I turn a phrase there. I thought that was clever. Very good, thank you. Thanks. See, spending too much money on foolish things, okay? So, again, I don't like to hammer on, for example, I just use smoking because most of you probably don't smoke. And if you do, it really isn't the worst thing in the world. But you're spending money on something that, uh, first of all, you have to go outside in the cold in winter. Um, it makes you smell, which doesn't bother me at all because I can't smell. Um, but it's expensive, and it's making you sick, okay? So that would be an example that most of us can, cannot feel too guilty about. But what about gambling, okay? Gambling, addictions, okay, is an example of, that actually impacts lots of people. And I, I wanted to bring it up in a sermon, because it's not something that often comes up in sermons. And it will impact some people who are watching here live or online or in the next service. I have sat with people who have ruined marriages relationships and their lives through gambling addictions. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with some of you going, oh my goodness, does he know? I just bought a lottery ticket. I bought a lot, brought a lottery ticket to church today. I got it on the way here, okay? So first of all, there's nothing wrong with buying a lottery ticket in fun or you're in, you know, you're in a casino with friends and you spend $20 on a slot machine. I did that once, so clearly it can't be bad, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. Um, you know, it, it can be a form of entertainment, right? Where if, so if it's part of your budget, but gambling can be an addiction and people, literally there are people, and it's a surprising number of people, it's a problem in our society now, where people spend hundreds of dollars, sometimes thousands of dollars every paycheck in the hopes of hitting some kind of jackpot. It's a real problem. That's spending too much money on foolish things, and now you're not saving for the future. Here's what the, the Canadian Safety Council, actually, I found this interesting. I was looking into gambling just a little bit. It, it literally is about 2% of our population now is impacted by this, but by a really problematic gambling. But addiction to gambling is linked to a range of serious personal and social harms. This reminds me, what you're going to read next, a lot of what 1 Timothy 6 sounds like. Such as depression and suicide, bankruptcy, family breakup, domestic abuse, assault, fraud, theft, and even homelessness. These effects can be devastating to the individual 
as well as their friends, family, workplace, or community. And by the way, it's not just gambling. These effects here actually come not just from gambling, but they come from all kinds of financial stresses. Even if you got there in a way that wasn't gambling. All kinds of problems come from the financial thing, from financial stress. Now, part of this is not, okay, we can all see, okay, gambling and cigarettes, we should, you know, ease up, right? Okay? But actually, I think the more insidious problem for many of us is not the spending too much money on foolish things. It's spending too much money foolishly on good things. See, there's so many things in our culture that we've come to see as needs instead of wants. Now, if you can afford it, remember what I showed you before in 1 Timothy 6. Be thankful to God who provides all things for our enjoyment. This is not a sermon about feeling guilty because you have, you know, a decent car or a nice car or a sports car or a nice house. If you can afford those things, thank God who richly provides for our enjoyment. Amen? But if you can't afford them and you buy them, you're like, yeah, but I need, we need a bigger house because we have four kids and each one needs to have a separate room. Well, if you can afford it, great. But guess what? Lots of kids in this world don't have a separate room. It might feel like a need if you can afford it, great. Don't feel guilty. Thank God if you can't afford it, there's no basic human right that says every person must have their own separate bedroom. I remember being five years old in Woodstock, Ontario, and sharing a mattress with all of my siblings in a room, okay? Now, I am very deeply scarred from that emotionally uh, and in many different ways mentally. Um, but see, it's not a need. See, you can... Um, but it, it, so it can be the house... It can be whatever it is. It can be the van. Yes, a van is wonderful. The question is not, are these good things? They are wonderful things. The question is, if, can you afford it? If you can't afford it, you can't have it. And if you can't afford it and you buy it anyway, you will pierce yourself with many griefs. You will pierce yourself with many griefs. Do you know how many people, and I don't have to even give you statistics here, um, but because we will all know people like this, do you know how many people, Christians and non-Christians in our culture, live without any financial margin in their life? I wonder how many people here tonight, and by the way, don't feel bad. This is a message of hope and thankfulness, and God help us to get to a different place, but there will be people here in this room right now who have no margin for error financially. You actually have a... a what by most, you know, uh, ideas in this world of what wealth is, you have a job that pays quite well, but you don't even have $1,000 saved up in an account somewhere for an emergency. And if your car breaks down, it's going on the credit card. And now you're in catch-up constantly. And by the way, things always happen in life. And if you don't have financial margin, guess what you have? Stress. And that stress is going to impact all kinds of things, and it's going to impact your joy, and it's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact all kinds of things. You're going to pierce yourself with many griefs. Now you say, well, I can't get $1,000 aside because of all my needs. Now it's true, some people live below the poverty line. But if you're not below the poverty line, is part of the problem perhaps 
that you are spending money for more on things you don't actually need. So we need to combat greed. We need to differentiate between our wants and our needs. Well, let's go back to 1 Timothy 6. And Paul says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. I think that kid just said amen. That's amazing. Look at this kid. Like, he's here right now. He's going to be ahead of where some of us are. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So if you have less than food and clothing then, okay, we need to help you out, okay? And you, you need more. You need some basics. But Paul says, that's pretty basic. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. It's possible to be content without having a bedroom for each kid, without having to have the brand new minivan. Again, if you can afford them, thank God, don't feel guilty. Thank God who richly provides for our enjoyment. But if you can't afford them, we can be content with less. Now I want to go to this next part here. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Why is godliness with contentment great gain? I'll tell you why contentment is... Contentment is better than winning the lottery. You know why? A lot of people think they would be happier or that they would be happy if they could only win the lottery. Now, first of all, none of us is going to win the lottery, okay? Or, or very few of us will ever win the lottery. But here's the thing. Greed tells you, I have to first get blank, then I can be happy. When I win the lottery, then I will be happy. When I have financial freedom to go wherever I want in the world and own whatever I want, then I will be happy. The fact of the matter is, though, that greed always puts happiness off somewhere in the future. You can never be happy right now, which is why contentment is better than winning the lottery, because we can all be content, which means we can all grab hold of happiness right now. And ultimately, isn't happiness, actually, I'll put a more spiritual word, because some of you are like, well, I don't think we should be seeking happiness. You're right. Let's call it joy. Christians like the word joy. You and I think the deepest, or one of the, we'll just call it one of the, one of the deepest human desires is to have what? Joy. It's actually what we all crave. It's actually why we end up greedy. Because greed tells us, if I get that thing, if I improve my house, if I get a newer car, then I will finally be happy. But it doesn't make you happy. Contentment says, I can be happy with what I have Right now, contentment versus greed. Contentment grabs hold of happiness. You know, I asked my kids the other day, and they totally got this, this question wrong. I asked them at the, I think it was at the dinner table, I can't remember where. They're here in the next service, so I'll have to ask them in between before I say it wrong in front of them. But anyway, because they'll correct me. But I asked them, I said, what would you rather have, okay? Would you rather be filthy rich or happy? And Boaz said, filthy rich. <laughs> He's like, I mean, think of all the stuff we could do if we were filthy rich. Well, but what is it he really wants? Is it that he wants to be rich? Or is it that 
He just is convinced that if we were filthy rich, then he would be happy. But it's not the riches we actually want. It's actually the joy. It's the happiness we want. We want to be happy. Well, I have very good news for you here today. You don't need anything else. You don't need one thing more. You, by Jesus Christ and his, and his spirit, can be happy right now. It's called contentment. It's called, I have all that I need to be happy right now. Now, and if you don't like the word happy, just put in joyful. And then God goes, oh, good Christian. Oh, you good Christian. You're using the Christianese. Joy is what we really crave, and our constant chasing after more actually makes us less happy. Here's the thing. We live in one of the, if not by, like one of the by far wealthiest societies in all of history, human history. I mean, if we would just go back 100 years or 200 years and, and pop some pioneer farmer who has built his house with his wife and they have four kids left and they had five die in childbirth and another three die in this or that and has worked brutal long hours to scrabble a living together and his kids each have one toy and if you walked into their house, there's no cupboards filled with stuff. There's no drawers. It's pretty much empty. If you would transport one of those pioneer farmers into one of our homes today, and they would see how much we eat. And what is that? It's a mango. That grows in Manitoba? Oh, my no. Nothing grows in Manitoba. <laughs> we ship this stuff in. Are you kidding me? If he would see the abundance of what we eat and all the plates and the table. Did you build this? When did you have time to make all the... Oh, I didn't build this. Heavens, no, I'm completely useless. <laughs> and even if I could, I'd be far too... It's far cheaper and better for me. I, uh, I've got too much to do. I've got Netflix to watch. I gotta, I'm not going to build that. I'm going to buy it. I mean, this pioneer farmer would be blown away. Wow! What a life you have. If we went back 2,000 years and took some poor sap off the ancient streets of Rome and took them into one of our homes today, they would think we were gods. Literally. They would be wrong, right? Right? But that's, I mean, they believed in multiple gods. They would see what we enter, are entertained by. They would see our flushing toilets. They would see the cleanliness and the paved roads, and they would go, Wow. And yet, here we are with unbelievable wealth that most of human civilization for all of history could not even have imagined, and yet many of us aren't happy. And yet many of us aren't happy. How can that be? Guess what? Getting more stuff. If you can't be happy with what you have now, you can't be happy. If you can't be happy with what you have now, you can't be happy. Which is why Paul said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is the lottery. To be able to be happy with what you have is just amazing. Now, this is not just an individual, and then we're going to get real practical. 
This is not just an individual sin problem, by the way. It is that. There is an individual sin problem. We each have sinful hearts that are bent towards things like the seven deadly sins and greed and all that sort of stuff. But we also have another force at work, which is our culture and our economic system, which are based on the idea of you always need more, and we are born into this. We are formed into this idea, an entire life based on you need more and more and more. 150 years ago and before that, people did not have an idea. Human beings were not viewed as consumers. This is the first time in human history that one of our, one of our primary way of viewing people is we are consumers. We spend our whole lives buying stuff. Again, 150 years ago, people didn't have this idea. You had like one set of tools and it was going to last you for life. Right? You didn't have, I mean, think of the stuff we own. Washing machine, dryer, vacuum cleaner. And that's just the boring stuff, right? But you still got to have the doodads. They got to whistle at you when they're done. They got to sing. They got to do all kinds of stuff. TVs, computers, phones. And we don't buy any of this stuff for life. We buy it. When you bought that last TV you bought, you knew you weren't buying that for life, didn't you? Oh, you didn't. Some people didn't. But you went and bought that, you went and bought that TV, and you did not think to yourself, this is the TV I'm going to die with, unless you're in your 80s, maybe. You bought that TV only two years after you bought your last TV, or three years, because now... Well, it's not plasma, it's whatever. And the black, the color, the, the sharpness, it's just incredible. And it's 185 inches long and wide, and it's huge. I can't even get it in my door. I've got to cut through the concrete basement and lift it in with a winch. Like, it's just insane. And you bought that knowing that two or three years from now, you're going to trade it in for another one. Because there's going to be another one with specs. And you bought your phone. I was in high school, and I remember a guy, he was a bit of a nerd. I was a nerd, so I, knew, I know what they're like. But I wasn't a computer nerd. But this guy was a computer nerd. And I remember when he said, he came into class one day in science class, and he told some other computer guys, and he said, I got one gigabyte of memory on my computer. And the guy said, you'll never use it, what a waste! And it's like, my my phone now has, goodness knows, endless gigabytes and gigabytes. I mean, your pocket calculator is just, it's like a supercomputer from the early 2000s, right? Like, it's just, it's insane, but we buy these things, and then we throw them out, knowing we're going to upgrade them and rebuy them because our lives are built on this. And by the way, this all started happening in the early 1900s because with factories and different, you know, new technologies and new techniques like assembly lines, our culture, for the first time in human history, was able to produce way more than we could use. So we had this weird situation. For all of human history, we have not had the capacity to create more than we could use. We're trying to create enough for people to live. And then about a hundred and some years ago, you know, early 1900s, late 1800s, we get to this point where we can produce far more goods than we can ever use. And over time, they, we had to figure out, how's this going to work? And so literally, economists, and I got a great quote here from a guy who, and this is the kind of stuff economists were thinking of 
in the last hundred years ago. But literally, this idea came to be that we would need a new kind of economy based on consumption. Look what he said. And I could show you tons of quotes like this. I, I just find this kind of stuff fascinating. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life. It's weird to see it in a quote because it's like the water we swim in, we don't even realize that this is different than how human beings have always lived. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert buying and using of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. This is how economists and government officials and leading business leaders, I could show you other quotes if we had time, were starting to talk in the early 1900s. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced and discarded at an everly at an ever-accelerating rate. I mean, you just go into these huge warehouses called Walmart or Costco, and look at all the stuff in there that is not built to last. Now, Costco's better than Walmart, right? But we have landfills and garbage problems in the world now where countries are refusing shipfuls of refuse because they don't have any place to put it because we're using and abusing, and we're not even happy as we do this. So, what do we do? Not everything about our economic system is bad. By the way, I'd rather live now than any other time in history. The good side of producing lots is we've alleviated tons of human suffering and raised the quality of life for billions of human beings. I love that. The downside is we're still not happy. And we need to be able to look at this and step out of it. So, what do we do? The antidote to this is still in this book. 1 Timothy 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, as we read before, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So, let's finish with just rapid fire some practical antidotes to greed. And the big thing, if you want to live content instead of consumptive, the big thing is live within your means don't buy what you can't afford. You're like, that's it? You were hoping for some magic bullet that would still allow you to buy what you can't afford. There is no magic that exists. So here's some rapid fire. Before you buy, make a budget. Oh, that is so old school. And it doesn't work. Me and my wife tried it. We fought for a month straight. You need to fight for another six months. And on the far side of that, you actually have a better marriage because you will have learned to either, well, either one of you will be dead or you will have learned to talk about money. <laughs> and that will be a, an improvement over where you're at right now. Before you buy, are you saving? We've got a finance course going on right now that Carl and, and Esther are, are running on Thursday nights. It's just awesome. And it's actually our biggest course right now. I love it. I'm so pumped about that. I've never experienced that in my church life. One of the first things they tell you on the first session of that finance course is, first thing you need to do is have somewhere in a bank account $1,000. Just make it happen. Why 1000 bucks? Because something's going to happen, and you're not going to have the money to take care of it, and that's why you're going to be stressed. Are you saving? Are you saving for the future, or are you buying it all right now? Are you living in a way that you can't afford before you buy, are you giving? 
And I'm not just talking to church. Oh, of course, he's a pastor. He's got to say that. Forget Crossview even in that equation, okay? Take it out so that it's not marred by anything like that. Forget about giving to Crossview, okay? Just give. There are so many scientific studies that people who give are happier than people who don't. So why don't we do it? I'll tell you why we don't do it. Because we don't have the money. Because we're barely making the payments on our credit cards because we thought we needed that extra bedroom or that brand new minivan and we're still stressed and we're not giving, which is both biblically and scientifically proven to make you happier. So make a budget, start saving, start giving. And lastly, before you buy, practice delayed gratification. That's a new one. What if you tried living without that next big purchase? Just try to be happy without it. Give yourself a delay for any big purchase. Say, I'm going to live a month or two months, whatever, you just figured out. I'm going to live without it and see if I can be happy without it. It might just change your life. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Father in heaven, we can all leave here essentially in a place where it's like we just won the lottery. Because the reason we want to win the lottery is because we want to feel happy. We want to feel joy. We want to feel peace. And Jesus, we can have that now. We don't need to win the lottery. We don't need to get rich. We don't need a bigger house. We don't need a newer minivan. We don't need any of that stuff. And we could leave here tonight. And we could be content. And we could be happy. Father in heaven, help us to get off the greed treadmill. It's a killer. Many of us are living with tremendous amounts of griefs and ruin in our lives because of it. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. And we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.